difficult, hard, painful, heavy, formidable, onerous. Choose an adjective. Anyone will do as long as it's negative when we describe the difficulty of forgiveness. Can we all just admit that forgiving is hard to do? Forgiving is difficult. C.S. Lewis once wrote, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Forgiveness is hard. We all want it. We all crave it, especially if we've done something that has hurt somebody. But it is really hard to give, isn't it? Outside of the grieving of the loss of a loved one or personal suffering, forgiveness might be the hardest thing that anyone in this room will ever have to do or has ever done. That says quite a bit. What makes it worse is when someone hurts you and they do it knowing that they're going to hurt you, knowing that it's going to cause pain. Makes it even worse. I'm reminded of a time in my life where I was on a ministry team at a church. This was back when Katie and I were first married. The pastor was in sin. The pastor was in bitterness. The pastor was in jealousy over other ministry leaders. He didn't like the fact that people were being ministered to by someone other than himself. And so he calculated, he planned, he orchestrated the firing of one of those ministry leaders, which led to the resigning of the entire ministry crew, save one. Now that would have been bad enough for a man of God to do something that hurtful, to do something that unreasonable. But what was worse was that he had weighed it out in his head. And he had said, yeah, this is going to hurt this person and that person and that person and that person. And I don't care because it's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's worth it because I get what I want. doesn't matter that there's 25 families that now have no church home, that are now broken off of their church community and are literally needing soul care to get through it doesn't matter because it's what he wanted he got his way he got to be in charge he did it intentionally forgiveness of that is hard can we all admit that it's hard what's even more difficult is the fact that as we are we are being hurt by people There are people who have been hurt worse than us, and they forgave like that. And these heroic people, I think of the the Amish who had the man break into their schoolroom and gun down their children. I think of the Charleston uh, shooting by a white supremacist killing people, and within 24 hours, they forgave. The Charleston one is especially powerful at Emmanuel Church, where they went out And they stood beside the wife and the children of the man who shot their family and cared for them and set up funds to to make sure they could get to college and make sure their needs are met. When I hear those stories, it makes it that much harder to forgive. It lets me know how difficult it is. It makes me feel that much more guilty that I don't forgive the way I should. See, forgiveness is hard when the person plans it out. 
This is why our justice system has a difference between murder and manslaughter. Manslaughter is accidental. Still a big deal. Somebody died. But murder, first-degree murder, is planning it and weighing it and going, I don't care. This is what I want to do. That is the hardest thing to forgive, isn't it? So I, I say this because if you've been reading ahead in Matthew, you know where we're going. Matthew chapter 6. Let me read it to you. You don't need to follow along in your Bibles. Just listen. We'll read it all together in a minute. This is Jesus speaking. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. We read this and we go, ouch. Because I think we all can think of people that we haven't forgiven. Augustine said, this is the terrible petition, the explanation of the terrible petition from the Lord's Prayer. If you remember last week in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Augustine says, oh, you know, this is probably the worst thing to ask if we have no forgiveness for someone in our lives. Because we're actually asking the Lord, don't forgive me for the things I haven't forgiven others for. That's, that's heavy. This is serious stuff. So we need to let this passage hit us right where it hit the disciples. Jesus offers no explanation other than those two verses that I just read to you. And if you're thinking at all, you're going, well, what about? Well, what about? Well, how about? Well, what about? That's where our minds want to go. And they should go there because this is a tough passage. So what we're going to do, we're going to break it down this way. We're going to start with what is forgiveness? We're going to define forgiveness. Then we're going to talk about the context of this passage. How does it fit in the flow? Then we're going to talk about what this passage is not saying. Then we're going to talk about what it is saying. And then finally, we're going to talk about what it means for us today. Because there's hope in this passage. Spoiler alert. There's hope in this passage. So what is forgiveness? Well, simply put, forgiveness is a one-word summary of the gospel. Isn't it? We use that word gospel all the time and we throw it out there and we hear gospel this, there's gospel music, there's gospel that, gospel this, gospel teacups, gospel whatever. The word gospel is used quite a bit. It's not about Jesus coming to earth. It's not just about how we sing to him. It's all tied to the fact that when Jesus came and died on that cross, he provided the means for our forgiveness Everything Jesus did was pointing forward to that forgiveness or after his death, pointing back to that forgiveness on that cross nearly 2,000 years ago. So forgiveness is a summary of the gospel. Forgiveness is also a summary of the Christian ethic, what we are supposed to do with our fellow human beings. It is simply put, if we would just work on our forgiveness between each other, I think most of our world problems would be solved. There might be a few here and there we still need to work on. But forgiveness is in short supply. It is God's gift to us. It is our responsibility to others. Ephesians 4.32 says it this way. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
So this forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a promise. We are to forgive like God forgives. God forgives and it's gone. It's done. It's no longer there. It is not something that is continually held against us. Very different than how we look at it. I referenced earlier the Amish and that story of the the man who came in and shot up a schoolhouse. Instantaneously, it seemed like they began forgiving him. So one non-Christian writer wrote this. He said, at the heart of their faith is a man dying for his enemies. For Jesus to give his life and forgiveness to the ones who tormented him was an act of love. And it was within their worldview orientation that the Amish saw forgiveness as the greatest gift and the greatest virtue because it matched up with Christ. This is a form of self-renunciation, saying, I'm not putting my needs first, I'm putting others first. So this is what forgiveness is. Not only that, but God, when he forgives, he forgets. Look at Psalm 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's a praise the Lord moment right there, isn't it? For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. So his love is as high as the heavens is from the earth. And then he goes, but not only that, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You know, I was trying to explain this passage to my kids. And I told him, you can go north until you start going south. You can go south until you start going north. But you can't go due east and end up in the west. You just keep going east. They never meet. East and west just continue to go. You don't end up somewhere. You don't end up going east and then eventually you're going west. It doesn't work that way. And so this east and the west is saying, it's gone. Not only that, Isaiah 43 gives us even more instruction on this. God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. That blots out thing. That means whites out, takes the white out and covers it up. I will not remember your sins. So God is omniscient. He knows everything. He cannot forget, but he chooses to not remember. When he says, I will not remember your sins, what he says is, I'm not holding them against you. And see, this is just such a freeing way to look at God that God doesn't go, okay, I'm keeping all these sins over here. Oh, you've gone too far. Now I'm going to bring them back out. (laughs) That would be how we would do sins. God's way is, You've asked for forgiveness of those. They've been put on my son. They're done. They're not there anymore. God is ultimately saying, I will not bring these matters up to you or to others in the future. I will bury them. I will not exhume their bones or beat you over the head again. And I will never use them against you. Clara Barton, the founder of the Red Cross, one of her friends reminded her of something cruel that she had done. And Miss Barton said, I don't remember it. Her friend said, you don't remember it? And Clara Barton said, I distinctly remember forgetting it. See, that's how God is. God is saying, I am not going to remember your sins. I'm choosing to set them aside. So we started with forgiveness is like the gospel. And then we just kind of leveled up, didn't we? And now it's not only forgive the gospel, but it's forgive and put them away and not bring them back up. This is very foreign to our world. 
I don't think anybody would be surprised to know that our world has a forgiveness problem. Forgiveness in our world is incomprehensible, meaning they don't understand it. Not only that, but in our current culture, forgiveness has become reprehensible. They've turned a good into a bad. What was supposed to be the best thing about humans is that we could forgive others has now become, in many people's minds, a tool of oppression. It has become, in many people's minds, a tool of continual abuse. Listen to this quote. The notion that victims of crime, oppression, and sexual assault must forgive their oppressors simply piles on more oppression and harshness on the victim. Insisting that she forgive plays into the sickness of the patriarchal, misogynistic, male-suppressing, male-supremacist religions that blame women. It harms the woman all over again. Forgiveness is overrated. And there's plenty of quotes like that. So how did we get to this place? What is it about our world right now that sees forgiveness as the opposite of what it is? See, no matter your age, no matter who you associate with, understanding our culture and how they think is huge. Because guess what? You're going to have to forgive some of them. America has always been a very individualistic place. Rugged individualism is what America is known for. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Go and do it. That's what we've been known for. And as with all things that have positives, there are negatives as well. In our current culture, technologically saturated, entertainment overloaded, our culture has turned more inwardly than it has ever been. It has turned so inwardly now that I am the only thing that matters. I must be free in every way possible, which is the exact opposite of the way it used to be, which was more of a community. Even when we were rugged individualists, there was a communal aspect because ultimately the, the things that the Bible teaches are about unity and community. And our world is fighting hard against that and saying, no, you be you. You have it your way. This sinful individualism inclines us to behavior that weakens and breaks relationships. Weakens and breaks our relationships. Our culture is one that lifts up revenge and mocks grace. You can just go through all of the Hollywood blockbusters. They've even made sequels upon sequels about someone getting revenge. One of my favorites is The Count of Monte Cristo. If you've ever read that book, that was a long revenge story. Revenge and anger are seen as authentic. It's what you're really feeling inside. Forgiveness is self-hating. Forgiveness is faking. So what they're doing is they're taking the natural man and they're saying, whatever the natural man does is okay. Anything that doesn't match up with what your basest instincts are, then you should, that's self-hating. You should, you should deny that. See, whether it be your neighbor, your children, your grandchildren, or your coworker, seeing how the world looks at forgiveness is going to be key. Because what's going to happen is when you forgive someone, they're not going to go, oh, that's just so sweet. No, they're going to go, how dare you? And then you have to forgive them for that too. See, forgiveness is anathema in our culture. And unfortunately, it's seeped into us as well. Our new secular religion is a honor and shame religion. You say certain things, you're honored. You say certain things, you're shamed. 
You know, the Hindus have 30 million gods. Here in America, we have 329 million because our God is our self. So whenever something goes against the God of self, it becomes something that I must resist at all costs because don't topple my God. This makes right and wrong a moving target. What this means is in our culture, yeah, you can ask for forgiveness for something, but maybe even now asking for forgiveness is now a trigger point and it just goes back and forth and the things that were good a few months ago are now bad and vice versa. So you're constantly in the wrong. This new religion many have called the cancel culture, values fragility over strength. It values uh, creating individuals over society. It's a good versus evil where your oppression and your feelings are what matter, not the facts on the ground. See, what happens when we constantly are looking for how and who said what to offend and hurt and so on, it doesn't allow us to do what 1 Peter 4 8 says, which says, Love covers a multitude of sins. And it sweeps away forgiveness and reconciliation. There is no place for most people for re- forgiveness, and definitely not for reconciliation. Instead, we surround ourselves with people who think the same way as us and just stoke the flames of our unforgiveness. And this is not a liberal thing only. This is not a conservative thing only. It's everyone. When we surround ourselves with people that think all the same way as us and they fan the flames of our anger and our hatred, that's the opposite of what we see here. We see forgiveness. See, our moral crisis is not rampant sexuality. It's not people sleeping around. It's not pornography. Those are crises. But the one that is affecting each and every one of us to the core of our being right here and right now is vindictiveness. Our culture is drowning in vindictiveness. Someone is found guilty or not guilty in the court system. And yet people still want their pound of flesh and will go after them. Vindictiveness. Retribution, revenge, is the opposite of what the Bible teaches. See, Christians, we root our moral norms in God. And yes, God has a law. And if you don't hit that law, you are now in trouble. But God also has a son who came and provided mercy so that we could have relationship and forgiveness. The world has none of that. They have law, law with a side of law. And that's it. So I I totally agree with Lisa Turkers who says, I believe that with all my heart that forgiveness received and given is the very thing that will split this world in two with the most stunning revelation of Jesus more than anything else. So hear me on this. You can stand on a street corner and you can yell about Jesus all you want. You can give out all the tracts and Bibles. Please do. Give those away. But when someone has wronged you and they know they've wronged you and you step up and ask for forgiveness, I'm sorry, when you extend forgiveness, that is the most powerful way to show Jesus Christ short of having him appear right next to you and say, touch my hands, touch my side. What more powerful way could we have than extending forgiveness like that? See, forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is saying, I set aside my rights, I set aside my rationale for getting back at you 
to instead forgive you. Why? Because I have been forgiven. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, when we forgive, it is a poor and humble business compared to God forgiving us. Because when we forgive one another, it's fellow servants forgiving fellow servants. Whereas God, when he forgives us, it's the judge of all the earth. Not rebel subjects, guilty of treason against their majestic God. Instead, for God to forgive is something great. For us to forgive is something very small. So we've got to keep this in the right perspective because Jesus' point here is if you're forgiven, you forgive. If you're unforgiven, you're un- not going to forgive. It's just not going to happen. So, okay, here's our big idea. We're only a few minutes in, 20 minutes in. Here's the big idea. Kingdom citizens are assured of their citizenship when they forgive like the king. Kingdom citizens are assured of their citizenship when they forgive like the king. So I'm going to read that text to you again, because this is important to get. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So now when we look at this text in its context, the first thing we see is it seems a simple, just a simple logical step. If you do this, God does that. If you don't do this, God doesn't do that. Seems as simple, right? And it it is, but at the same time, it's difficult. See, Jesus had started out his Lord's Prayer. Remember, we were going through and he's saying, don't be like the hypocrites. They do this when it comes to giving. They say, look over here. And then when it comes to prayer, the hypocrites, they stand on the corners and they say all these elaborate prayers. And then they use lots of words. And then Jesus goes, stop it. Pray like this. And he does this prayer. But he can't help himself because he knows what's coming. He knows what's coming in his life in just a few short months that he is going to step up and be that pure spotless lamb. So he won't let verse 12 go. Verse 12, which says, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. He goes, I need to explain this to you. You need to get this. And so he adds a little footnote. And that footnote is verses 14 and 15. He started with an introduction saying, you need to be focused on your heart, focused on God, our Father who's in heaven. And now he says, make sure you don't miss that there's a horizontal aspect to our forgiveness as well. There's a vertical aspect, and we praise God for that, that he has forgiven us, but there's a horizontal aspect that must be taken into account. This commentary is unexpected. It's kind of disconcerting, but it drives home the weightiness of interpersonal relationships. The point being is that followers of Christ, citizens of heaven, of the kingdom of heaven, must have a righteousness that is greater than just the external. It must penetrate to the heart. So this is a heart issue here. This is an issue of where is my heart? So what does the word forgive mean in this context? It means to cease feeling resentment for wrongs. It means to pardon. And then we get this word trespasses, which you'll notice in verse 12, it says debts. And then in verse 14 and 15, it says trespasses. Those are two different Greek words. And there's some importance there. This word trespass means to overstep boundaries. It it literally means to false step. In the NIV, in the New Living, in the Net Bible, all of them say the word sins here. But the word trespass is a better word because what it's saying is you have stepped up and done something that you're not supposed to do. And therefore, 
I am hurt by it. It's not like a debt where, you know, we have merciful bankruptcy laws. There's no debtor's prison. And so Jesus in his wisdom says debts, which is our relationship to God. We can't pay that debt back. Christ is going to pay it, but also trespasses. He's covering the full gamut of the things that we'll experience. See, trespasses are when someone does something against us. Someone violates what's rightfully ours. This is very damaging. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? And it's been happening ever since. There's a prescribed, this is your area, don't go into my area, and then Adam and Eve did that. It's the same thing for us. We have seized a realm and exercised a right that belongs to God only. We've committed treason. We owe a debt of that treason, which is death. But yet Jesus comes and he pays that terrible debt completely to God. And then he's requiring us to forgive the trespasses. Which is by far, which for the debts are by far a worse thing in this situation. So since we've been forgiven our incredible debts, we are to forgive the trespasses of those who trespass against us. So there's the passage. So now the questions that would come up in, in my mind are, is this talking about, well, you're a Christian and you don't forgive, so therefore you go to hell? Is that what this is talking about? Is this saying that I can live like hell over here and I don't want anything to do with God, but if I forgive people, I kind of sneak into heaven the back way? Is that what this is saying? Well, no. Let's get into what this passage is not saying. Jesus is not saying your forgiveness is based on works. Whether you go to heaven or hell is not based on whether you forgive somebody in this life. There is one set of works that get you to heaven, and it's Jesus' works on the cross. Nothing else matters. That is the only way you get to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. So this is not Jesus going, yeah, but in this situation, we're going to go ahead and work our way around, and it's this back door. That's not what he's saying here. God's forgiveness never has worked that way. Some interpreters struggle with this, and they add all sorts of caveats, and and I kind of went down some of those rabbit trails with them, and what I really realized was they were trying to make this passage make sense with the idea that we are saved by grace alone. And I love that about these commentators. It's great, because the Bible does teach that, and that is the truth, and that's what I just said. We are not saved by our works. We're saved by Christ's works. And so they try to make this, you know, kind of softer and so on. We need to let this land on us. If you are someone who is not forgiving, you need to question whether you are a member of the, the kingdom of heaven. If you're a citizen, if you're a Christian, it's to make you go, oh my goodness, this is not in the right place. This is not to turn a formula into some way to work our way to heaven. It's never been what it's about. We are saved by grace alone, period, full stop, end of story. But when we are forgiven, forgiveness must be extended because it's the proof that you're forgiven. You do not lose your forgiveness, though, if you are struggling to forgive. Yes, there's lots of fractured relationships, and we are going to struggle. But understand, the struggle is actually a sign that you're in the right place. See, the thing is, we're going to struggle with forgiveness. 
It's the people that don't struggle with forgiveness and say, I want nothing to do with that person. They're dead to me. I'm going to hate them for the rest of their lives. That's the place you don't want to be in. John Stott writes, Our Lord certainly does not mean that our forgiveness earns the right to be forgiven. It is rather that God forgives only the penitent. That's the repentant, the people who have committed and said, I've done these things, Lord. And the chief evidence of true repentance is a forgiving spirit. Once our eyes are open to the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries of others seem mild by comparison. Now, whenever we talk about forgiveness, it's imperative that we have one little caveat here, one little thing that must be said. Forgiveness does not mean I allow someone to continually sin against me. Forgiveness does not mean that I stay in a situation where there's abuse. Everybody hear me on that. We are not saying, this is the Bible has never condoned, well, you've forgiven them, so stay with that abusive fill in the blank. No, that's called a crime. Call the police, throw them in jail. That's not what this is saying. This is not saying that you are to return to that person and act like nothing happened and allow them to hurt you more. Instead, this is 100% about where is my heart towards that person. Where is my heart towards that person that says, you know what, I don't care about you. I'm just going to hurt you because I'm so selfish. Where's my heart in response? Ironically, if my heart is really selfish, which is exactly like the person who's hurting me, I'm not going to forgive them. Isn't it ironic that many times the sin that we see in someone else is the exact same sin in us? So what is this passage saying? Well, the first thing we see is that Jesus takes forgiveness seriously. All kinds. One, the forgiveness that he is going to extend to us. He took it seriously. He died on the cross for it. But not only does he take that serious, but he takes the serious that we extend to each other. It puts legs on his vertical forgiveness when we extend it horizontally. See, Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of forgiveness. It's founded in forgiveness. It's grown in forgiveness. It's known for forgiveness. Forgiveness from God and forgiveness towards others. We don't have the option as kingdom citizens to not forgive or faking forgiveness. Jesus intends you to question your forgiveness by God so that you prioritize the forgiveness of others. If you're going, I'm having a hard time forgiving the people around me, then I need to get myself right with God because when I'm right with God, I'm going to forgive those around me. If this makes you feel insecure, Jesus seems willing to risk it because there's nothing else in this passage. He doesn't go, well, I didn't mean you disciples because you're really good at forgiving. I meant all those other people. No, he just says, you don't forgive, I'm not forgiving. Okay, let's move on. We're going to talk about fasting. I mean, I'd be like the one in the cat. I got a question, Jesus. Wait, did you just really say that? And he did. Jesus is stressing how important and indicative this is of members of his kingdom. If you're a citizen, you're a forgiver. That's it. This is the new default setting. This is the citizenship proof. This is the piece of paper that says, member of the kingdom of heaven. It's your forgiveness. Nothing else works. See, the reason why this is hard is because up to this point, the punching bag has been the Pharisees. And we're like, those Pharisees, that's right. Well, now the punching bag is us if we don't forgive. Because ultimately, forgiveness is a decision. We have to decide, am I going to forgive the facts of what happened? 
Lewis writes, No part of his teaching is clearer. There are no exceptions. He doesn't say that we are to forgive provided they are not too frightful or provided there are extenuating circumstances or anything of that sort. We are to forgive them however spiteful, however mean, however often they are repeated. And see, that's when it gets really hard, doesn't it? Who is it that's not being forgiven by God in these two verses? It's not those who are struggling with their forgiveness. It's those who won't forgive and will never forgive. Those are the ones that don't have the forgiveness of God. See, the struggle is good. The struggle is evidence that you're not settling for the bitterness. The struggle to forgive is a sign that you're in the, going the right direction. It's when you say, I will never forgive. That's never going to happen. That's where you haven't experienced God's forgiveness. Because ultimately, not only is forgiveness a process, but it's all, not only is forgiveness a decision, but it's also a process. You make the decision to forgive the facts, but then there's time that goes on, and you have to forgive again and again. I heard a story about a lady who was involved in a car accident. She was driving home from work, and a drunk driver hit her, T-boned her right in the middle of her car. And as what happens, the drunk driver, because he was so drunk, he just kind of flopped around, had nothing wrong. However, her car was totaled, and she had to go to the hospital. And she let the courts deal with him, and he went to jail and a bunch of other stuff. She says, I forgive him. And she forgave him in that moment. Tell him I forgive him. She went to his court thing and said, I forgive you. But a few years later, a few months later, when she's struggling to get out of bed, when she wants to go for a run but she can't because her foot's in a boot, when she's unable to bend over and tie her toes because of back issues six months later, when they find more issues two years later and she has to have major surgery, she has to forgive again and again and again. See, that's the thing. I told you at the beginning about the, the pastor and his hurting a bunch of people that I care about. Well, I'll tell you the truth. He doesn't live far from here. As a matter of fact, I saw him this week. Talk about God's timing. This person runs in some of the same circles that I now run in because I am a pastor. And every time I see him, I have to forgive him again because guess what? All of that stuff starts welling up. And if forgiveness is a promise that I'm going to leave those things over here and I'm not going to bring them back up and go, oh, wah, 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 you know, you get a flat tire. Or bearing him ill will of any sort. Forgiveness is a process. So we need to understand two things. One, yes, you can forgive in that moment and forgive the facts of the thing. I have forgiven him for what he did. However, when I see him next, I'm going to need the help forgiving. Now the good news is, I don't have to do this alone. So we've talked about God the Father. We've talked about the Son. Now we've got the Spirit. The third member of the Trinity. He's the Helper. And here's what happens. If you, if you remember, if you, if you read through the book of Acts, throughout the book of Acts, they're, they're going along and all of a sudden it says, and then the Holy Spirit filled them. And then a few pages later, and then the Holy Spirit filled them. And then a few pages later, the Holy Spirit filled them. I'm going, just like, what, 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 what's happening here? I heard one pastor say one time, I need the Spirit every single day because I leak. <laughs> and it's the truth. We need that. And so think about how gracious our God is that he doesn't say, hey, just forgive those and you're on your own. Tough it out. Because he knows we'd fail at it. 
Instead, he says, I'm going to send my spirit. And you can go, Holy Spirit, oh my goodness, I'm going into this meeting and I know that person's there. And I've already forgiven them and I don't want to be bitter and I want to be right in the middle of your will. Come help me forgive them. And sometimes we're going to fail and we ask God for forgiveness of that. But that forgiveness is there when the Spirit fills us up again. Lewis says, forgiving the moment is not difficult, but forgiving the same thing over and over again, even when it just occurs in memory, that's the real tussle. See, we are in constant need of forgiveness. Someone who has no idea about the nature of forgiveness, who does not struggle with it, is not actually walking in the enjoyment of their forgiveness. So we need to get that. See, when we have an unforgiving spirit, it bears strong witness that we are not right with the Lord. The Christian walk is one of self-denial. It is saying, I am not putting myself first. Whoever sees himself in his life as central to the meaningful existence loses everything. Whoever takes up his cross, follows Christ, loses his life, but actually finds it. So we talk about this forgiveness. We need to understand there is a war going on. This is spiritual warfare. The devil is not known as the forgiver. He's known as the accuser. You've heard it said, to err is human, to forgive is divine. One one general during the Civil War said, I never forgive. I am so proud of my hatred. No one crosses me. I pay everyone back. So I want to add to that. To err is human, to forgive is divine. To not forgive is demonic. See, the devil's the accuser. It says in Revelation 12, 20, that he is throwing his accusations at them morning, noon, and night. Forgiveness is the sworn enemy of the devil. Think about when Christ died on the cross, the devil's going, I've accomplished it. And then the forgiveness wells up. What a day. He lost in that moment. So we need to recognize we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. Instead, we rush to forgive the flesh and blood. We rush to give that forgiveness. Because the most precious and dangerous weapon of of our spiritual warfare is the forgiveness that God's Word so clearly tells us. So, we know what forgiveness is. We know what this passage is not saying. We know what this passage is saying. So what does it mean for us? Well, It's clear this passage is not about entrance into heaven. Instead, this passage is about assurance of your citizenship. This is saying, if you are like this, then you are a citizen of heaven. Because our ability to do this, our ability to forgive, rises and falls with how in touch we are with the Spirit and how much we're letting the Lord work on us. See, this is not about me determining to forgive. Instead, it's me going into cooperation with God's Spirit to forgive. The Spirit works in us to forgive. A good tree bears good fruit. Forgiveness is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, I know some of you Bible scholars in here are like, do we raise our hands and say, no, you're wrong? Because what does Galatians 5 say? It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And you say, there's no, nothing about forgiveness in there. That's where you're wrong. Because when you love someone, you forgive them. When you're pursuing joy, the happiness that wells, it's not from revenge, it's from forgiveness. 
Peace. Do I even need to explain that one? Patience. Forgiveness is the definition of patience. It's me saying, Lord, you're going to take care of it. I'm going to step out of the way. And even if it's not in this life, I'm back here and I've forgiven that person. Kindness. Who wouldn't say that forgiveness is kindness? Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. I mean, that's what forgiveness is. It's saying, I'm not going to do it myself. So for the fruit of the Spirit, every single one leads to forgiveness. So in forgiveness, what do you give up? Well, you give up the right to demand your own way. You give up the right to pay them back. You give up the right for your pound of flesh. You are saying, God, you handle this. Even if I never see how you do it, I'm trusting you. See how forgiveness just wells out of a heart that is devoted to God? If I'm devoted to God, I'm trusting him with whatever happens. What do you get? You get the freedom to move on. And this, this I got to do another Spurgeon quote. This is just too good. To be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless by comparison. Oh, that's great. But there's one thing sweeter, and that is to forgive. As it is more blessed to give than to receive, so to forgive rises to a higher stage of experience than to be forgiven. To be forgiven is, as it were, the root. To forgive is the flower. When we forgive, we get that joyful assurance that I'm forgiving. Why? Because I've been forgiven. I am a member of the kingdom of heaven, and this is the indicator that I am. When we know God's love and forgiveness, there is, no, there is a limit to how deeply someone can hurt you because guess what? They can't touch who you are in Christ. They cannot touch you. So, application. Well, what do we do with this? Well, first of all, I'll just simply say the Bible's very clear. Jesus teaches on this elsewhere, as do the apostles. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So what kind of fruit are you giving? What kind of fruit are you showing? Is forgiveness what you're known for? Do you forgive those who hurt you the worst? Now, at this point, you'll probably go, hey, let's have five steps to forgiveness. I know we've gone a long time. Not going to do that. And there's some out there. There's some really great helps out there. We've got some on our back table back there. And if you go there and there's not one and you want to talk to me about it, I've got resources that I can help point you to for all sorts of steps to forgive. But the one step that is necessary for every single person to be able to forgive is to see your God rightly. When you see him as as just beautiful as he is, that his forgiveness is so great and his love for you is so great, you can't help but spread that forgiveness around. We must see God rightly. Let's look at just a couple quick passages and then we're done. Isaiah 1, 16. Though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Psalm 40 Verse 16, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation continually say, great is the Lord. Do you see that? Is that your default setting when it comes to God? To go, I see God as great. Pray that the Lord would let you see him for as great as he is. Because look at Romans 5.8. God shows his love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Look at that. He was giving us the means by which He was going to forgive us before we even existed. Before we were even around, He was forgiving us. All we had to do was repent. Look at Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Is there any desire that we want more than to be forgiven and have in our relationship right with God? He says, no, delight first and I will give them to you. Delight in this one who has forgiven you. Rise up underneath it and go, this is my God. This is my adopted father. This is the family I'm a part of. 1 Peter 1, 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So today, if you're struggling with forgiveness, if this sermon has brought to mind people that you're going, oh, I have not forgiven them. Yes, you need to take steps to do it. But before you do that, you need to get yourself right with the Lord. I need to see the Lord right I need to see him as as glorious as he is. Then his spirit will give me the words. His spirit will give me the texts, the emails, the phone calls, whatever is necessary so that when I step out, I'm extending that forgiveness that I've given. And it won't just be, I forgive you. It will be, I forgive you. And it's over here and it's gone forever. I will not bring it back up because that's divine forgiveness. And the only way you can have that divine forgiveness is if you're a member of the divine family and know your heavenly Father. Get to know Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You now and we just ask that You would forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, You would forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. Lord, and where we haven't done this, I pray that you would give us the, the conviction and then you would help us to repent and then, Lord, that you would help us to forgive. Lord, in, in many of these instances, you will have some restoration and you'll, you'll bring us back together with those people, but in some, there is gonna, not going to be restoration. There will be hatred. There will be people who will get mad at us for forgiving them. I pray, Lord, though, that we would do it because you did it even when we were just like that when we were just like the people that said, I don't need your forgiveness. So I pray, Lord, that we would know you and love you so that the forgiveness overwhelms all of those around us. Lord, our world needs it so bad. I pray that we would be that light and that salt into this world with the forgiveness that you've given us. Help us to do that, Lord. I need your help. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.